0: All right, today we're continuing our series, uh, it's called Relate, and Relate, as I've said, is not just the name of the church, it's an acronym, and so I'm teaching that acronym. If you've missed the last few Sundays, you've missed a lot, um, go back and listen. I'm going to kind of review some of it today as we go through this sermon, because it's a process, it's a step-by-step process. So I hope that you'll go back and listen to it and make sense of it, all right? Um, All right, so let's begin with this. Think about this. After all that has been said and all that has been done in your life, after all the things you've seen people do, after all the pain you've experienced in life from wrong decisions, bad things that you've done. How many of us have done bad things in our lives? Okay, that would be 100% almost, all right? Almost. Some people just don't vote, all right? after all the things that we've seen and lived through and done, you would think that by now you and I would have stopped intentionally doing bad. Right? You would think that by now we would be like, okay, that's bad. I'm not going to do that. But that's not what we've done, is it? We still struggle with this stuff. After all the tragedies that we've seen on the news and even had affected in our families with drunk driving, people still drink and drive. After all the tragedies that have happened... Hundreds, thousands of people have died from this senseless thing and and yet people still do it. It's just, it's amazing to me. After all the broken families, after all the broken marriages and children left to put the pieces of their lives back together in their own little hands, we still have humans who have yet to learn how to truly love and live a life of love so that we can have peace and hope. And joy in our homes and our families and our churches and in our community. Why? Can't we learn? Why can't we just learn and apply? There's something going on that's deeper than just learning and applying. And Paul so eloquently put it in Romans chapter 7, and I'm going to read that in just a few minutes. But he says, he's so frustrated. The things that I know I should do, I don't do those things. And the the things that I know I shouldn't do, I keep doing those things. What's wrong with me? So in this Father's Day edition of Relate, I want to talk to you today about this. Accept my part. This is A, accept my part. R-E-L-A, accept my part. So here's a question. What makes God a good father? Why is he a good father? How can we say he's a good father? Unconditional love. He keeps his word. His character. Someone said something over here? Always present. He shows us the right way. He is love. Forgiveness. All right, so a couple of you have said love is the issue, and it is, because here's what it is, and, and, and you know, so many times we get so focused in our Christian walk on, oh, just grit your teeth and not sin. I'm just not going to do it. I'm not going to sin, and so many people lose their faith and lose their hope, because as much as we grit our teeth and try not to sin, what happens? We sin. All right, so we've got to switch it from that, from trying not to sin, instead of doing that, we've got to switch it and and move towards something that is positive. And what is that? Love. And so the reason God is good is because He's love, which means He doesn't sin. Can you imagine, can you just imagine if God was someone that we would have to try to protect ourselves from? How awful that would be. What if God was somebody that would come and use and abuse human beings anytime He wanted to? Are you listening? Can you imagine how awful that would be? I mean, He's all-powerful. You try to play hide-and-seek with Him, He knows where you are. And if He comes and tries to find you and you're trying to hide from Him because He's a bad father, He sins, He does horrible things, that would be absolutely awful in our lives. Can you imagine if God... Okay, some of you are going to lose me on this, all right? But this is the way my brain works. Can you imagine if God got drunk? <laughs> he wakes up in the morning, he's like, oh. Oh. where's planet Earth? <laughs> what did I do last night? Now, I'm being serious, can you imagine if God was that kind of a father? What a tragedy that would be! for anybody and everybody that he created. So he's a good father, not just he doesn't sin, but he loves. And that's his motivation. That's who he is. And so he always treats us with love. It's beautiful. A question every good father will ask is, why do I keep doing bad things? Good fathers ask that question. Because reality is every good father is going to make mistakes and he's going to commit sin, right? I'm not condoning it. I'm just saying every good father stops and says, why? What needs to happen inside of me to change? How can I accept my part in this? You see, I sit in the offices of good fathers who are emotional and they're crushed because of the things that they've done and how they've hurt their, their spouse or their children. And I listen to their hearts. And I listen to your hearts, guys. I know that you guys want to find freedom in your lives. I know that you guys want to be better. And so what this process will do is help you to become better in loving and serving God and the people in your life. Paul had this question. And let me read this uh, from Romans chapter 7 for you. Is it cold in here? Y'all cold? No? no? All, right. all right. So those of us who are cold, let's... <laughs> how about we turn up uh, just one degree and let's see where that lands. And I'll... Uh, listen, I'll interrupt later if we need to turn it back down. All right? All right. All right. Um, Paul had this question that, that, that we're asking, all right? So why, what I don't understand about myself, this is so powerful. Paul is just being honest here. He says, what I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another, doing things I absolutely despise. So Paul had a a hard time liking himself because of some of the things that he's done. Everybody following along with that? So if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's command is necessary. But I need something more, for if I know the law but still can't keep it, and if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me that gets and gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel and just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but I'm pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. Boy, how many of us can relate to Paul here? So let's take a few minutes and and look at what he said here. He says, I can't be trusted to figure out what is right and wrong in my life. Man, if every human being came to that conclusion as a start, (laughs) I can't be trusted to figure out what's right and wrong in my life. Why? Why is he saying that? He's saying it because he understands he's got internal motivations that he's not even aware of. He says, they're covertly working in the back of my brain, trying to give this flesh what it wants. Therefore, I can't be trusted to know what's right and wrong. And then look what he says. So I need God's command to guide me. What is he saying? He's saying, God's command, help me to know what's right and wrong. So it's good to have God's law. Verse 16 there says, so if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's command is is necessary i need god's commands and he's not just talking about the big ten he's talking about the two you see jesus turned the big ten and all the laws of the old covenant into the big two which is what yeah old testament don't new testament do old testament don't do this new testament love do this isn't that awesome one of the biggest mistakes we make in our, in our lives is we trust ourselves to know what's right or wrong. And we sit and we go, oh, well, that doesn't sound right. Okay, well, what does God's Word say about it? What does God's Word say about it? And then we can land on it. Then you're not dealing with feelings. Look what he also said. I know the law, but still can't keep it. And if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep inside of me, within me, and gets the better of me every time. So then Paul says that he falls into this trap a lot. He says it happens so regularly. Anybody identify with that? But then he says something very key here. This is so key. He says it happens so regularly that it's predictable. What does that mean? That means you can foresee it. That means there's a path, a process that gets you to the place where you do this, where you commit sin. That means that it's predictable that you can stop and go, whoa, I'm heading down the path that is heading towards destruction. I don't know about you, but that's encouraging to me. Because if I can do that, then I can also begin to take charge of my life and I can begin to make better decisions. You can begin to make better decisions before you get to that point of no return where you're like, oh, all in, right? And and he says there's a path to this that's predictable and you can stop before you destroy a relationship, before you destroy your life or destroy your reputation. You can stop. That's encouraging. So what I want to do real quick is back up. So let's back up now and let's look at the relate process that we've talked about already. Reroute my thinking. All right. So anytime you're feeling uh, a negative situation coming on, the challenge is to reroute your thinking. How many seconds do you have before the prefrontal cortex begins to shrink? One to two seconds, right? So One to two seconds, a threat happens. Someone says something. Someone does something that threatens you. One to two seconds, your prefrontal cortex starts shrinking. And when your prefrontal cortex shrinks, what happens then? You naturally respond instead of doing things God's way. And for some of you, it's like, go find a closet. Some of you, it's run. Some of you, it's start fighting. Just stay and start fighting. And this is why your fights always sound the same in your marriage. And it always ends with something like your mama's ugly, you know? <laughs> and it's always the same thing. You end up saying the same stuff and it's the same fight over and over and over because the prefrontal cortex is shrunk, and you can't muster up anything new to talk about. So reroute your thinking is, is to, here it is, when I get a negative emotion, instead of giving into it, I decide to go another direction to either seek truth or just forgive. And let it go. Elevate others is this: putting others first, making me last, considering others above me, not by putting me down, but by elevating them higher. So after you've rerouted your thinking, you say, okay, this person belongs to God. They belong to God. And how I treat them matters to God. And God will hold me accountable for what I say and what I do in this, this moment of conflict. All right. So elevating others puts you in the right place. It doesn't mean you're going to let people walk on you. That's not the goal. It means you're going to raise people up in your mind and heart that says that what I'm about to do is going to be, I'm going to be accountable to God for it. All right. And it's way more than that. Listen to the sermon. All right. L is list my threats, list my threats. All right. So now we've come to a place where you say, all right, What is threatening me? It's you looking at you to see how you're being threatened by the situation or by the person or persons involved. So it's you saying, okay, how did I get threatened? Instead of you threatened me, it's why did I get threatened? Am I afraid of something? How has God promised me protection for my security? And for how long? And you start taking those questions to heaven. And the second threat is significance. So your security and then significance. How are they looking at me? What does this make me look like? Am I losing a position in my life? Is somebody putting me down? Is when someone cuts me off, are they taking my position in the, on the road? All of it. How did they threaten me in my significance? And then there's intimate relationships. Is someone I love going to walk away from me or be taken from me? Those are the, listen, those are the only three threats in this life. And what was Jesus screaming from the cross? Don't worry about it. You're going to be with me in paradise. And when you tap into your belief that he's got your security, your significance, and your intimate relationships for eternity taken care of, that means you don't have to live a life of threats here. You don't have to live a life of, of, of fear knowing that that all of this is going to be taken from you or something bad is happening to you. You can trust God with your life. Do you believe that? You see, your brain just begins to open up whenever you take those threats to God. So A is accept my part, and that's what we're talking about today. T is turn from my sin to God, and E is enlist accountability. We'll be talking about those over the next couple of weeks. So I just laid out for you the path to sin, And it starts with a threat, and you've got to reroute your thinking, and if you don't reroute your thinking, you're certainly not going to elevate them. And then you get to list my threats, and you realize, okay, this is how they're threatening me, and I'm afraid, and instead of taking it to God, the path has now led you to a position where you're going to participate in sin. Why? Because sin is tools is I don't know how to say that sin is a tool sin are, sin are no sin is sin is tools sins are tools thank you instruments all right I got you thinking they're weapons they're instruments all right so what's he saying okay let's define sin. Sin is anything that hurts people and breaks relationships. Wait a second, I thought murder was sin. Okay, it hurts people. Wait a second, I thought adultery was sin. Yeah, it hurts people, breaks relationships. Wait, I thought sin was lying. Well, it's more specifically lying about somebody which breaks relationships. Hurts people, right? Right? So the things that God has given us, the law that God has given us, is about hurting people and about re- breaking relationships with God and people. So is buying a car a sin? <laughs> it could be. <laughs> if it's going to break your marriage up, it could. It's just, it, it, listen, if your idea of what's sexually stimulating is going to break up your family or cause pain like to your parents and bring problems into your family. If that's your idea of what you like, then that is sin if you're going to pursue that in your life. Listen, you would do well to not try, not focus on trying not to live that life. You'd do well to embrace this life of love instead of what breaks families up, instead of what hurts people. Are you following me? Are you sure? I need a little bit more than that. Are you following me? All right. So the law, God's law, what God says is good and what God says is right and what God said is wrong. These things are here to help us to see because we can't trust ourselves to find what is true and what is right in and of ourselves. So what Jesus did was he took the law to a higher level called relationship. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, he says, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law, the things that I said you shouldn't do. He says, I didn't come to do away with it. I came to what? Fulfill it. With what? Love. Now the law makes sense. He went on to say that the law says don't murder But I say, don't even be angry with somebody. He went on to say, the law says don't commit adultery. But I say, don't even look with lust at a woman or or a guy, right? So he takes the standard to relationship, to love. But for the sake of it, let's talk about the seven deadly sins. You ever heard of the seven deadly sins? All right. So this is how we try to to define. This is how we, in the relate process, we try to help you figure this out, all right? So. Let's list them. Pride. Pride is the mother of all sin. Pride is the beginning. And when your pride is touched, pride gives you the right, and and not only the right, but the deserve for you to have the rest of these sins. So if you've ever been angry, has anybody here ever gotten angry? No? No? If by some chance you use anger, pride gave you the right to use anger in order for you to try to fix the threat that's in your life. Pride gave you that right, all right? Uh, Lust, greed, gluttony, envy, and sloth, all of these things, they destroy relationships and they hurt people. And God says, all right, the reason I hate these things is because they destroy your life, they destroy your relationship. God's not trying to be a cosmic killjoy. He's trying to protect people, and He's trying to protect relationships. All right, so pride gives us the right to be able to participate in these things. So here's what this looks like. Conflict happens. You're driving down the road, right? Someone seriously cuts you off, and you're like, whoa. And you don't reroute your thinking. Instead of elevating them, you turn them into an animal. Did you see what that animal just did? Just ran me off the road. They need to be dealt with. Where's the cops? Oh, I wish I was a cop. (laughs) And you get threatened, right? How did they threaten you? Security? Did they threaten your security? Absolutely. Almost ran you off the road, right? significance. Was your significance threatened? Absolutely. That guy thinks he's better than me. He thinks he needs to get where he wants to go before I do. And all of it that just goes through our heads. We just, he thinks he's, he just put me down. Look at that. He's driving a Mercedes too. (laughs) You know, or, or, and this is one that I've experienced, you know, the guy with the big dually truck with the black smoke coming out of it always a threat, right? <laughs> always. So your significance, your security, and your intimate relationships, maybe you've got somebody in the car with you, and potentially they're going to get harmed if someone does this, right? So you could potentially get threatened in all three areas just by somebody cutting you off on the road. And listen, all of that is the path for you to come to a moment where you deserve to sin. And I'm telling you that you could be the greatest Christian in all the world one minute, and the very next minute you could be telling somebody they're number one. (laughs) Or you could be flashing a gun. Please don't do that. (laughs) You'll end up in jail. (laughs) You could lose your mind because you got threatened and you didn't process it in those split seconds by taking it to God. And you find yourself deserving sin. And back to what Paul was saying, what's wrong with us? Something has gone wrong deep inside of us for us to be threatened in such a way and find ourselves committing sin in such a way. Now listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you a question in a second. That If you will listen to this, it could change your life. If you will answer this question, And listen, you can't trust yourself. Why? Because your flesh is craving sin. Would you say that with me? My flesh flesh. craves sin. All of us have this. So let me ask this question. Is it possible that the majority of the negative situations in your life were created by you so that you could have the right to sin now most people haven't done this work to answer this question but I just want to throw it at you can you think of a time where you created a problem so that you could do what your flesh wanted you to do We'll start fights. Man, I am touching a cord here. Your brain is covertly working in the background and says, I want tasty cake. Right? And thanks to Liz and her... Father's Day present for me, she brought me Tasty Cake. And your flesh says, I want Tasty Cake. And it says, if I make someone mad at me over here, eventually I get Tasty Cake. (laughs) And we will cause problems, we will cause issues in our marriage, we'll cause issues with our kids, with our boss, why did they respond that way? I can't believe he got mad just because I was 10 minutes late. or Whatever it was, we created the problem and then we expected everybody else to be kind and nice about it and everything else. And then and it, it was for the purpose of getting what we want. And it's covertly going on in the back of your brain. You don't know it's happening, but it's there. Does anybody remember anything like that happening in your life? Okay. If your flesh is craving for sin, it will seek a way to deserve it, all right? I saw a guy the other day, by all appearances, it seemed like this is what was happening, so I'm going to use him as an illustration. I don't know his name or anything. He was on the highway. All right, so I, I was getting on this highway, and there was an accident just up above, the, uh, above the, uh, the intersection where I was coming in. It was a three-lane highway. The left lane was the only one open because of this accident. So I get on the highway, and I, my job is to just kind of merge in. So as I'm merging in, I'm just getting closer and closer to this left lane, there's a tractor trailer right here. I could have sped up and got in front of him, you know, just so I could see and that's my right. But instead, I was like, okay, I'm going to calm down. I'm just going to back up and I'm going to slide in behind him. So when I went in behind him, I was, I was getting adjusted into the lane. And I looked up in the mirror so that I could wave at the guy to thank him for letting me in. He didn't give me enough time. He was back there going berserk in his car seat going like you didn't wave at me you moron (laughs) i'm thinking man this guy expected a little bit too much and i was just like okay you know I, i he didn't give me time to wave what was he doing he was creating a reason to be angry I would have given anything to have followed this guy around the rest of the day to figure out what he was trying to give himself permission to do. That'd have been a little creepy, though. <laughs> he was looking for a reason to be mad. He was looking for a reason to be mad. And even though there wasn't anything happening, I wasn't up there like, I'm gonna slide in on this guy. It wasn't happening. I was just trying to get over. And we do this. We do this all the time. And we take offense to things so that we can deserve to participate in sin. We do this. We do this. I do it. You do it. We're all in this together. Amen? Amen. And like the Apostle Paul, we're in this together. We've got this covert operation going on inside of us, and it's called the flesh. And let me ask you a question. Why are we so surprised when we find out somebody sinned? Come on, folks. And we don't God calls us to call it what it is. And in the church, the only time we're to put someone out is if they come in saying, "No, that's not sin," when it's clear that it that it is. Are you with me? And and we have to be careful that we don't do that. But if someone comes in and says, "Man, I blew it this week. I need God's help. We better be there. that's all God expects, that's all God requires, and that's all we require. That's all we require. It's called repentance. Amen? Amen. Uh, we take offense to things so we can deserve to participate in sin. And worse than that, we create conflicts that we can deserve. People create conflict in the church so they don't have to come anymore and so that they can deserve to go back out into the world and do sin. Listen, if you want to sin, please just go do it. Don't cause disruption here. <laughs> just go get it done. If you got to get that done, please, Don't sit here and cause disruption in the church family. Our job is to have a safe and good place for you to come back to when you got it out of your system. When you end up in the pig's pen, we're here. Fathers create conflict with their wives so they can go do what their flesh wants. Wives do this too. We all do it. Listen, this is sin's secret. And we're exposing it today. This is why Paul was doing the things he didn't want to do and why he wasn't doing the things that he wanted to do. This is why. James David, would you come? On June 5th (coughs) would have been my 30th wedding anniversary. Listen, never in my life have I wanted to drink. But for some reason, on June 5th, and it's funny how the enemy works this way, I had a flashback of, you all remember the karate kid? Suddenly, I felt like I should be doing what Miyagi was doing when he was missing his wife on their anniversary. Do you remember that? He was slobbering drunk. And all of a sudden, I just started thinking, boy, that would feel a lot better than how I'm feeling today. I've never in my life been tempted. So I. D- no, I'm, I'm teasing. I didn't. <laughs> I ended up that night at one of my best friend's anniversary dinners, and he'd, they'd gotten married on the same day, a, a different year, obviously. But uh, there were six couples sitting there at this anniversary dinner, and. There was an empty chair right next to me. And my flesh was screaming out the entire time, you deserve, you deserve, you deserve. I wanted relief. And I believed in those moments that I had every right to go do whatever I wanted to do to make me feel better. But I was able to see it for what it was. And I was able to get in the car and drive home on the phone with my parents. And I feel good about that. I like me. And it's situations like that allow me, that allow me to like me. Amen. Amen. Here's what we do. Chris, is he muted? I don't know. All right. So here's what we do. We reroute our thinking. Now listen, if you want to end up in sin, don't reroute your thinking. Don't change the story. Let whatever threat came in be exactly the way you you heard it go through your head because I'm right. No. Remember, your your brain is working covertly to get you down the road to sin. And when you get threatened, your wife says something, your kids do do something or they don't do something that you want. Somebody does something that bothers you. If you don't reroute your thinking, then you're already saying, all right, I'm going to use sin down the road to be able to fix this this threat. Elevate others. List my threats. If you're not doing these things, sin is crouching at your door and it's ready to destroy your life. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Sin is calling out to you. Path. It's the path. So the alternative, love, love. Believe differently. Think differently. Reroute your thinking. Elevate others. List your threats, and accept your part. So what do we what do we do with uh, pride, humility, anger? Lust, true love. Greed, start giving. Gluttony, put a stop to it. No, I just needed enough. That's all I needed. Envy, contentment. I'm content with what I've got. God has given me is enough I don't need what they've got but they don't deserve it like I deserve it no that's envy I'm content with what I've got sloth do the work doesn't mean you're lazy it means you're just not doing the right thing to fix the right situation so doing the things that God says we get to do in love That will free you from all of your sin. Are you going to be perfect? No. Not in your flesh. But you can be perfect in Christ. And Living a life of love is going to set you free from the law of sin and death. Amen. Would you bow your heads? Maybe you're here today and you need a relationship with Jesus. Just do that right now where you are. Talk to him. Jesus, thank you for your forgiveness. I want to get to know who you are and what you've done for me. What you like and what you don't like. And I accept you into my life. Wash me and cleanse me from all of my sin and shame. Thank you, in Jesus' name. Father, now I pray over these people who so desperately want to live a life of freedom in Christ, a life of love, pray for deliverance for those who need it, healing, and God, for us to have wisdom to walk out of this place today to live a life of love like you've called us to, in Jesus' name, thank you, John, Kenny, and Damon if you guys could serve us.